When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first 2-in-1 removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it is Film Study with Ken McCusick. This is our post-draft discussion. Uh, this is We're recording this on Saturday night, right after the draft. So, Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. How does your, before we get into the draft, how does your draft day uh, lay out? We know that when we're breaking down the, the Ravens football games, you spend all day watching every view and watching the game five, six times, eight times through. Uh, clearly you're not watching repeats of the draft. So what does your draft process look like as the Ravens announcements come out? Right. I, I spend a lot of draft day on Twitter, and I'm here in front of the computer, in front of the TVs on the first night, and uh, uh, we're enjoying that. And uh, Maureen and I watch it together, of course, and then we, we, uh, we tweet as we see fit during the round, which is a lot. And uh, this, this first round, we certainly had a lot to tweet about for the Ravens as they continually traded down, and then they traded back up, and uh, so much drama that we'll get to. Um, but uh, it's, it's a... It's, it's fun like that. I concentrate while the draft is going on in terms of value when the Ravens select a player. 
then we talk a little bit about who that player is, but but mostly I'm concerned with value as we go through, particularly in the first round. Yeah, yeah. I was very uh, thankful for Twitter this year for the draft because Thursday night I decided to go to the Oriole game, and then the Oriole game was such a bad game on Thursday night that I was able to sit at Camden Yards and at least experience the draft through Twitter and interacting with people on Twitter while I watched the Orioles fall apart once again. That, uh, that does sound preferable to the alternative. It was ugly. Um, all right, so a lot of stuff was being made as the Ravens went into this draft. It's Ozzie Newsom's last draft, and then Steve Bashotti kind of pushed at the State of the Union thing that they're not going to go defensive tackle, that, that they're going to go mm-hmm. offensive strong. And then the Ravens had an exciting night. Uh, all the national reporters, grades and everything are coming out with the early rounds were high high on what the Ravens have done. So what what do you think of this going into this, and what were you expecting? Well, I guess I expected in terms of needs, they had several things. So we, they obviously needed offensive tackle, and they needed tight end, and those they addressed during this draft, I think to some degree in each case, tight end very thoroughly, offensive tackle uh, with two players that we'll get to later. But they had other needs as well. They needed a second inside linebacker to play next to Mosley. I don't think that they're particularly happy with how Peanut played last year, and they really need to get a better size and shape fit for for that position. They needed to get a, a new center fielder who would replace Weddle at free safety. And really, a guy with back-end skills is what the Ravens are missing and have been missing this last year. Jefferson had difficulty on the back-end. And, and they need another guy who can who can play back there and certainly to replace Weddle when he leaves. They need an interior pass rusher, uh, something that was a, a very big deal. Brent Urban was re-signed. It now appears like he's he's uh, you know at least going to plug part of that hole for the Ravens coming up this year if he can get healthy in time for the season. So that'll be exciting because he's he was a good player. At some point, they need an edge rusher to replace Terrell Suggs, and I think they committed in this draft by their actions to find out what Tim Williams has to offer during 2018 as opposed to trying to draft yet another edge rusher to, to see who would be an heir to Suggs. And then I think the last thing is they needed a developmental quarterback at the least. You know, a lot of talk was made that they might pick a quarterback in the mid to late rounds, and they uh, they surprised us again on that one. Yeah, well, we will get to that because, uh, yeah, like you said, a developmental quarterback and lots of questions of if that's what they did in this move. So let's get into this. The, the first round, um, it's generally been pretty boring for the Ravens. The Ravens generally only have one pick in the first round. Um, this year wasn't boring. It, there was excitement. They were shifting all around and jumping slots. Yeah. Well, there's one thing about the Ravens is they usually draft late in the first round. They had right. all their playoff years, of course. And, and this year they had a reasonably high pick at number 16, not number 6 like they did before. And there they, they, took, the, they took Stanley and they ended the drama right away. But here they drafted at 16, so there's a little bit of intrigue here on who's going to fall. You don't know exactly. The Browns, who controlled two of the top four picks, were very tight-lipped about who they were taking. So one of the guys I thought they might take at number four was either Minka Fitzpatrick, who was mocked to them a fair amount, or Derwin James. And those were two players that I thought the Ravens really should have dropped all their plans for to draft if they got the shot. Right, but so those, were, those were defensive guys. Both defensive guys, you're right. So Derwin James, a, a safety who uh, a, a lot of people love, including me, Mika Fitzpatrick, he's a combo safety corner uh, who also brings not only versatility but a lot of ball skills to the back end. So both exciting players. James, 
amazingly got past both Tampa Bay and Miami. And I thought he might be drafted by either, but Tampa Bay traded their pick and Miami took Fitzpatrick, who was still amazingly on the board at number, I think it was 11 right. at that point. So the Ravens still had a chance at Derwin James. And as the, the Packers then traded up to take the Saints pick, and this really tried, kind of tried to set the bar in terms of value I thought the Ravens should have got, but the Packers had to trade down from 14 to 27 with the Saints. So they gave up 13 picks or 13 spots in this year's draft. But they also got the Saints 2019 number one in exchange. So that is a huge Yeah, premium. that's big. Yeah. And, I mean, the Saints could be drafting pretty high in the draft. They might give away, uh, you know, it might be a pick higher than 14. It might certainly be the 14th pick. Right. But in any case, it's a very good pick. And, uh, and it would have been exciting to get that kind of value if you're trading out of 16. But the Ravens got really what is a very even exchange in terms of the Jimmy Johnson chart. Right, yeah, it, it was very close. But when you're looking at that 16 slot, when the, that came up on the board with the Ravens, uh, Raven fans were really excited because those defensive guys you mentioned, James and Fitzpatrick, were still on the board. Mm-hmm. But so were uh, DJ Moore, who a lot of local guys like. Mm-hmm. And that's the guy I was pushing for. And uh, Ridley from Alabama was still on the board. And yes. my, my brother was really excited because um, because Jackson, Lamar Jackson, was still on the board at 16. And these were all guys, when your Ravens were saying, we're going offense, these are all offensive playmakers that were still available at 16. Boy, well, that's, you know, that's one of the interesting things about being on Twitter. Because if you're on, the, on Twitter for, you know, 15 hours over the weekend like I was to deal with the draft, you'll, you'll hear 92% of the comments – I'm good, making up that number, but it's a very high percentage, are people who want an offensive skill position player every single pick. And they get so frustrated right. every time they don't draft an offensive skill position player. So you know, Calvin Ridley was the one I'd say the most people wanted at 16. Then there's a bunch of people who wanted DJ Moore also at 16. And you're right, there's a bunch of people who also wanted Jackson at 16. I, 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 well, think, that's, I think that's Raven fans because we have not had an offensive playmaker in such a long time. I actually yeah. think it's everybody's fans because everybody so. everybody yeah. really w- understands the offensive players a little bit better. Yeah, and that that's the that's the home run ball is on the offensive side. Um, but but I also at the same time when they made the trade down to twenty two, I said okay I can understand that because we're at sixteen. I just counted five guys that I'd be excited to have on the team. The chances are one of those guys will still be there at twenty two. Well, that's true. The problem was, from my perspective, that Derwin James probably should have been drafted 8th or 10th conservatively. So if you really wanted to apply the Jimmy Johnson points for the 8th or 10th spot, the Ravens pissed away a lot of value trading out of the ability to take James. Now, I will say this. I have to be cognizant of efficient markets here. And the market spoke in the sense that no one was willing to give the Ravens what they should have wanted at 16 in exchange for James, although it does look like the, the Packers got what they wanted at number 14. And James dropped to number 16, so he was available. So a lot of other people obviously had a lot of other teams had problems with him in terms of how valuable he was. So I understand by efficient, market, I've, by efficient markets, I have probably overvalued Derwin James, but I thought he was the game-breaking talent, the, the real back-end talent the Ravens needed to rebuild the defense around. And it was a shame to see him go. But now, getting back to trusting the process here, you, you're pointing that that you you saw five players that you could have you could have been happy with if right. they dropped to 22. Well, the point of the matter was 
all of the offensive players pretty much were there at 22. Well, guess what? Ridley well, was still available. Yeah, DJ every, Moore was still the available. Guy, no, DJ Moore was not available. No, he was available at 22. He wasn't available at 25. So he was, oh, he right. Was you're right. You're right. I, for, I forgot that the Ravens then decided, hey, well, let's <laughs> yeah. move back a little more. Yeah. Right. So, you're right. So he was – so he, you had – you had all three of those players still available. And at that point, people on Twitter should be eating a little crow and saying, great job, Ozzy. You, you traded yeah. down. You, you got us some draft capital for this. Yes. And-, and that's what I said. As soon as the Ravens made the trade, <laughs> I saw so much negativity. And my post on Twitter was, hold on, guys. Let's wait and see how this plays out. Then we can be <laughs> negative. Then once they went back to 25, I was a little more hesitant. And it wasn't until more got drafted that I got negative. Okay. Because then, okay. all right, your plan screwed up. You didn't get more. Okay, well, obviously, the Ravens didn't put that same valuation on Moore, or they thought that either Moore or Ridley was good enough at 25. But really, in truth, I think the player they wanted was Hurst all along. They didn't feel like Jackson was worth a pick at either 22 or 25, or I'm sure they would have pulled the trigger then. They really needed Jackson to drop into the proper value range for them to say, yeah, this is the right price, let's do it. Yeah, then and, and we'll get to Jackson because the Jackson move surprised me. Uh, for one, because they traded up and I already shut my TV off at that point. But yeah. um, surprised me for the Ravens to go after a quarterback that early. But I think Jackson's an exciting playmaker, so I want to talk a little bit about that. But let's get into it. Let's start with Hayden Hurst. Let's start with a tight end who is a washed-up baseball player. Yes. He's an old, older guy than we normally pull out of the draft. But what makes this guy exciting as a tight end? Okay, so 25 years old, you already hit on that. Um, he's a big tight end with a blocker's frame, uh, has terrific hands, uh, zero drops this last year, only a, only a handful in his whole career at South Carolina. But what's good about him is he snatches the ball from the air as opposed to double catching the ball, which you see a lot of run, running backs at the combine. Uh, you'll hear that mentioned, the double catch. And the other thing is he doesn't catch the ball against his body, and even some good tight ends do that. But he's a hands catcher and a very good one, has very strong hands. So uh, a positive there, he, he got a lot of yards after the catch at South Carolina, and he's a matchup problem for both linebackers and safeties, which is something you often hear about tight ends, and in this case it's really true. He's way too big for, for safeties to stay with, and he's, he's somewhat too fast for most linebackers to stay with. So uh, he, he's a very intriguing matchup issue there for uh, uh, for the Ravens to throw at defenses. I think one of the other things is you have a, in, in drafting both of these tight ends, they got guys who they can generate easy pitch and catch throws with for quarterbacks who like to have a short range target. All right, now tight ends are normally not ready to, for NFL level uh, blocking basically in their first year. So you normally see them. Uh, not get much playing time that first year because they got to go from the hands tight end to more of a blocking tight end. Is Hurst the type of guy who that is ready to to be your everyday tight end this year? You know, I think some scouts would differ on that, but I'll say out of need, he's going to have to be. They the Ravens have two decent blocking tight ends, uh, Boyle and uh, and Hurst. Max Williams not a terrible blocker anymore, but but Boyle and Hurst are their better blockers, and they're going to have a guy on the right side who is going to need help. And the Ravens, as it was in 2017, helped out their tackles more than any other team in the NFL. And that was a a PFF statistic that was about two-thirds of the way through the season I saw that. So Hurst is really going to be needed to help Orlando Brown. And I think the fact they drafted Hurst in part was due to the the, the knowledge they had that their right tackle position was probably going to be kind of weak in pass protection 
given what their plans were and who was available in terms of the tackle class. Uh, you know, a lot of people would say they would have taken Mike McGlinchey at number 16 if he were available. Now, he went number nine in the draft, which was right. what, the first big negative piece of news that the Ravens got in the, on the night. Um, but but he would have been he would have alleviated some of their uh, their their problems with blocking on that right side. All right. So even though he's 25 years old, hopefully he's contributing earlier than we would normally be used to for a tight end. Yeah, I mean, you're making another good point. Is that is that we're only going to get one contract worth out of play out of Hayden Hurst? He'll be a, he'll be a Raven for five seasons. After that, whatever if he stays great, but we'll have to pay market value for him. So right. the value we'll extract from this draft pick is in the next five years. And you're right, he's got to play in this, immediately to realize as much of that value as possible. All right, but you're but you seem overall you're pretty positive about that pick. You are, I am. I'm positive about the pick. I, it's a, it's a B pick, and and honestly, most of the Ravens picks are Bs in this draft to me. Uh, it's not an A, but it's a, it's a solid pick. I'm happy about it. Um, uh, yeah, and if you can go Bs across the board, that's that's better than Cs and better than an A and a bunch of Cs. So, yeah, I, I, I like Bs. All right, let's get on to let's get to the exciting part, of the drama. The Ravens then trade up to get one more last pick in the first round. Yeah, so an Aussie knew some miracle at the end of the draft round when the the cursing on Twitter had reached reached epic levels. Uh, so they, Lamar Jackson was still available at number 32. The Ravens traded back into the first round. They didn't give up that much for what you typically have to give up to trade for a fi- franchise quarterback. Now, part of that's because it's at the end of the first round, so the, the, the amount you have, to, you have to pay as a premium to get that franchise quarterback is not that much. They moved up 20 spots effectively in exchange for next year's number two pick, so from 52 to 32. That honestly is not very much to pay, and it comes with the bonus that you get a fifth-year option on Jackson. And since Jackson's likely to redshirt for an entire first season, that's a very nice advantage to have, to have that one extra year before he becomes a free agent. All right. Um, Jackson, he, he, he's not, he doesn't play football the same way as Joe Flacco. That's so a fair statement. He doesn't make sense on paper. This is it's very similar to um when RG3 was signed a few weeks ago and everyone was just shaking their head like RG3, how does that back up Joe Flacco? If Lamar Jackson was drafted by a different team, he would be the starting quarterback this coming season. He was the fifth quarterback in the draft. He's I uh for many teams ready for the NFL. The Ravens are still going with Joe Flacco this year, don't they? Have to financially? Yes, they they would they would have to pay an exorbitant amount. It's about twenty eight million to cut him, so they won't do that this year. Next year, they can split it over two years and have eight million uh, in each of twenty nineteen and twenty twenty that they carry in in dead money. That will be less of a financial speed bump for the team to pass by if that's what in fact what they want to do. You know, we may go through this year, and and they might decide Lamar Jackson's not ready, and they they want another year of Flacco. Flacco may play well, and they may decide they want to do another year of Flacco. What can we get for Lamar Jackson right. and trade? I mean, I don't think I don't think it's a fait accompli that Joe will not be the quarterback for the Ravens in 2019. Let's put it that way. All right, and there's no way they can clear him for 2018 because Lamar Jackson RG3 looks like the proper backup for Lamar Jackson. Does not look like the proper backup for Joe Flacco with either of these guys. Right. RG3, I would say, is going to be the mentor for okay. Lamar Jackson. I mean, since they have a similar play style, you know, he'll get him used to the NFL. Uh, you know, I think he can certainly spend time with him. 
I, I'm not sure. I, I'm trying to remember what the details are of RG3's contracts, whether his money is guaranteed or not, or if he can be cut before the he, season starts. Yeah, I believe he can be cut from what I remember. Right, so so there's, a pr- there's a pretty good chance, I think you'd have to say, since the Ravens usually carry two quarterbacks, that Lamar is in, RG3 is out before the season starts, and RG3's main role here is to be a mentor to, to Lamar in camp. And hopefully okay. he can be a good one, given the fact that he's actually kind of competing with him for, right. for that spot. Right, right. Um, all right, Lamar Jackson. There's something that what excites me about Lamar Jackson is he is he's fast, and he mm-hmm. had uh, over 1,200 scrambling yards, and that was just scrambling. Mm-hmm. Is there yeah, a, that was... is there any chance that the Ravens? For one, it seems like he's the perfect guy to put on the field with Joe to make some trick plays. But any chance Lamar Jackson ends up being playing a little wide receiver and stuff to uh, to get used this year? You know, they've, they've talked a little bit about that, and I saw they, they asked him that question at an interview at the Ravens facility when Lamar Jackson was being introduced, and he basically gave an answer that said, I really want to play quarterback and nowhere else. Oh. He didn't say it in exactly those words, but that's p- pretty much what he said. So he's not interested in being a slash player. Uh, you know, he, he scored 50 rushing touchdowns as a quarterback, had 4,700 yards in college, 3,500 of those yards, which is – almost 75% came on designed runs. Now, why is that important? It's important because a lot of what made him dangerous as a player, and frankly, what made him more dangerous as a, as a passer at the college level, was the threat of the run. And yet, they can't use that part of his game to the same level in the NFL, or they'll get him killed. I mean, they, they literally, if you, run, if you run a quarterback for... Anywhere right. near a thousand yards of the league. I mean, he's going to have injury problems out the wazoo. Well, and so RG three is the example of that. RG three. Michael Vick had injury problems right. throughout his career. I mean, all, every running quarterback ever has has not had a long career. The only guy I can remember who is who is really a scrambler, but not really a runner. Fran Tarkenton, if you go back far enough, still played an awful lot of games without getting hurt very often. But but there really have been very few guys who've been able to do that. I mean, it's it's a right. It's you a look at a guy like Russell Wilson, who who kind mm-hmm. of pulled back on the amount of runs he was doing and learned how to pass the ball. Yeah, there you go. I mean, and and he he was he still uses the threat of running, but he stays in the pocket most of the time, and he demands that a spy be put on him. So that means that you know you've got another linebacker or maybe a safety who's shadowing the, him opposite the line of scrimmage, but is not rushing the passer and not not in coverage either himself, which which really helps in the passing game to have one less guy in zone coverage, by the way. So th- that's a value that Jackson brings to the table right away. I've heard other good things about him as a passer, that he, he progresses through his reads in a normal fashion, which is something that Joe's always accused or often accused right. of not doing one guy, yes. completely. Yeah. So Lamar is, is, is good in that respect. So there are things to believe. You know, They have the proper set of tight ends to, to, to throw to. I think they've got they've got guys in the running game. Dixon being the best chance, but also if if they continue on um, with uh, Buck Allen, that that he'll have some receptions and and be a good a good running back fit for him. They may also pick somebody else up at the running back position who can catch some passes uh, before the camp starts or before the season starts at least. So there will be options for him to throw the kind of routes uh, he has thrown a lot of deep balls in the past with just modest success. Uh, the, the Ravens also got some deep ball targets late in the draft who are bigger guys who like to make the jump one-on-one play. So uh, we'll see if that works out either for right. him or for Flacco. Okay. Um, 
I guess I, you know what I always wanted Tim Tebow to play as tight end. I want this guy to be a wide receiver. I wish that quarterbacks like this would be more open to doing whatever it does to help the team. Um, one of the negatives that was brought up about him was his wonderlick test and that he did lower yeah. than a lot of the other quarterbacks. Is that something we should be concerned about? Um, um, it's a very complex position to learn at the NFL, so I am concerned about it. At 13 wonderlick, most of the other quarterbacks, uh, the top guy I think was about a 37 this year. That might have been Rosen, but honestly I forget which one it was. Uh, and, and most quarterbacks are in 25 to 37 range would be typical. And I believe the scores I saw from this year were all in there. I don't actually know where Joe Flacco was. He might have been in the low 20s. I remember it, it wasn't a jump off the charts wonderlick. I didn't think that Joe had. Um, but, you know, Peyton Manning would have been higher. Uh, you, it's not all about intelligence, but it's a very complex position to play in the NFL. And you got to have you got to have some smarts to do it, and it is, it'll be a question, and the Ravens will have to see if it limits him in any way to be able to learn the playbook. Right. Uh, Joe kind of got forced into uh, playing earlier than the Ravens were planning on, so, um, and, and that ended up working out for him. It, is the Ravens team, do you think, even prepared, like if Joe went down week one? At, do you have to restructure your entire offense? How does this work? Yeah, I think you have to restructure the entire offense. They they try and and do something. They'll try and let the defense probably win a couple games while they were getting it set. Okay. And they, and they you know do a, a lot of run heavy plays. But I mean, I think you might see the Ravens immediately go to the pistol offense if you if you had this. But it'd be some kind of run pass uh, uh, offshoot that they would do differently than their you know the traditional everything is a two back set. In the in an eye or offset eye kind of situation, I, I don't think you'd see as much Alan Ricard on the field, for example, if uh, if uh, Josh if um, Josh Jackson if Lamar Jackson was under center. And that's where I keep getting stuck is we've got three quarterbacks: we got Flacco, Jackson, and RG three, and Flacco seems like the odd man out, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, do you see the Ravens signing another veteran quarterback to be the backup? No, I, I, I think they want to go with two quarterbacks, and I think it's Flacco and Jackson. And the problem is that creates immediately a quarterback controversy. Yes, and a quarterback every, controversy that's not easy to fix because the fans can be yelling for Jackson, but when your offense isn't prepared for Jackson, you can't just punt, decide at halftime we're going with Jackson. Yeah, spot on, spot on. You, you certainly can't decide at halftime, but even week to week it's very difficult. You know, if the best chance to, to change if they thought – hey, we've got a problem and Joe's production is not at the right level would be on the bye week where they had two weeks to fix it. And even then, I mean, it, that's, that's very difficult because the players aren't around in the bye week. They, they, don't, they don't practice the first week. It's, it's a matter of the coaches get together that week and, and kind of get the thing reset. And then they got three days to try and impress that on the, on the team the next week. All right. I heard lots of, uh, lots of commentary about how what Jackson's a determined player. He works hard. He practices hard. He he. he practices all the time that's a lot of stuff different than what we hear about joe flacco so that's stuff to excite fans but i'm still really confused by this whole move right it's a it is a confusing move one of the things if if that's really true i'd love to see lamar jackson you know pick the receivers and go out and throw with them just all the time throw on his spare time you know i saw weddell meet with hurst in the weight room so hurst was in to be introduced to the media of course and he had a little get-together with Weddle, and Weddle's saying, you know, 
you talked about a few things. Where were you? How, how are you doing? And then, so you got family, you know, your girlfriend, you, you, you got a wife, you got kids kind of thing. He goes, no, I just got my sister and my parents. And he goes, that's great. It's all ball then. And he goes, yeah, all ball. And I knew what Weddle was looking for, and that's exactly what you'd love to have, is a player who's not dragged down by a lot of other family commitments at this point in his life, who doesn't have... Uh, Five you know, kids. Yeah, it doesn't have five kids, but but you know even doesn't have one kid because one kid is a lot to, to handle, as you know, Josh. Um, it's just it's you're right. You'd rather have a guy who his entire life is spent on football for the next decade, but you you probably won't get that. But at right. least for the next two years, his entire life is about football. Well, yeah, and that's why you, as Joe Flacco struggles and he does TV commercials about how important family is to him, Ravens fans get upset. There you go. So. All right, um, let's move on from this because it's really a kind of wait and see at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and next, the uh, the Ravens went went back in time a little bit and drafted Orlando Brown again. Yeah, they didn't have a second round pick. Um, they they had the first pick of the third round at number sixty five, and then they traded down to get Orlando Brown after I forget if it's one or two trade downs in the third round. They had a total of five trade downs in this draft. So very, very exciting. They accumulated in the end 12 picks by trading down. But anyway, they ended up with number 83 being Orlando Brown. Yeah, they tra- traded from 65 to 75 to 83. That was the path. That was the path they took. So Orlando Brown, very interesting character. He obviously is the son of Zeus. And, uh, oh, he is? Zeus, yes. I didn't even know that. I thought they yeah. just had the same name. No, Orlando Brown Sr. died at age 40, uh, you know, Baltimore guy, right. uh, lived down in the Inner Harbor and whatnot. So, so his son, uh, very much a spitting image of him at 6'8", 345. I've seen all sorts of stories that tend to exaggerate what his weight was in the past, but I've seen something that said in, as a sophomore in high school, he weighed 415 pounds. And that same article said that when he was in eighth grade, he weighed 450 pounds i don't see how it's even possible but but <laughs> but maybe I mean, it is his dad was big his dad was big and and it, there's all kinds of stories about him chugging milk before before going to bed and things like that but he also said he was playing against somebody and his father was getting upset with him for not being physical enough uh with with his opponent so he could just you know he could maul and he said he was going to leave the game and and orlando jr said he pushed around a guy who, who must have weighed 370 pounds, and this is in 10th grade. I just can't believe that's true. So it, it, once he said that, all the weights up and down through this article came into question as being slightly exaggerated. But I have no doubt. He was a heavier guy. He slimmed down by a high-protein diet to get down to 345. He has 35-inch arms to go with a 6'8 size. He's monolithic in terms of, of getting around. Uh, does not necessarily have the greatest feet. But we'll see how that translates to the pro level. What I did see on film and some of the things that were pointed out was kind of sloppy across the pocket blocking. Now, ideally, if you're Jonathan Ogden or whatever, you put your hands in the right place so you square your guy up. Any move he makes to the outside is a waste of time going going south of the pocket. And you don't allow the guy inside as much as possible because because then he can disrupt the integrity of the pocket. And I saw some of that from Brown um, uh, where, where he had basically allowed guys to drift across the pocket as he blocked him. That's actually dangerous and could cause injuries at the NFL level. So I hope that that's not something we see regularly. His stock dropped a ton. Ravens would have never gotten him, but he 
uh, had 14 bench reps at 225 at the combine. There's a Twitter handle, and I guess it's a website, RAS, which, which tries to look at only measurables for the combine to give a valuation of players. And, and you know, they're, they're trying to show that they're accurate more often than not. But they label Orlando Brown as completely undraftable, okay. given his given his measurables. Oh, good! That worked out for the Ravens. <laughs> yeah, if other right. people don't like him as long as they can do something with him. Yeah, that, that's contrarianism. That's exactly what you what you want. And DeCosta addressed it. He said, "You know, we liked what we saw on film. We had to go back to that and, and basically ignore the combine." But they were also cognizant of valuation, and they waited until the eighty third pick to trade him, including some trade downs that where they could have had him. A lot of people had them in mock drafts before taking Orlando Brown at number 16. Wow. So uh, that was before the combine. Right, right. <laughs> so, so a poor combine. Um, how much did the Ravens look at that into, like, we know what his dad brought to it. He's got the same genes, uh, same background. Hopefully he doesn't have an issue with flags and refs and how we can yeah. get the same type of work out of him. Right. I, I hope that Orlando – you know, loves football the way his dad did. That's that's what I really want to see, and I think it's probably true. Um, part of loving football is loving it enough that you're willing to sacrifice for it in terms of your body. And he's gotten his weight down some. He needs to spend a lot of time in an NFL weight room. And his two most important friends that the Ravens will give him are his nutritionist and his strength coach uh, coming into this situation. But he's going to need someone to really watch him very closely and, and help him along on that journey because I don't think it comes natural to him. And, you know, you've run into these people who they never knew any different but to eat like crap their whole lives. You know, it, right. it, it just it's just who they are. And, and they don't really want to be told to lay off the frozen yogurt or the ice cream or whatever it might be. They just want to, they want to incorporate that and they want to tell themselves it's okay given that they're also an athlete kind of thing. Well, it's really not okay if Orlando Brown wants to, wants to become an effective right tackle in the NFL and I think he, he hopefully will get that pretty quickly from the Ravens. I'm sure they've had that discussion already, and I hope that they'll they'll uh, continue to reinforce it with the with the help they give him. And that's part of the transition to the NFL, as being a heavier guy works in high school, can work in college, but not in the NFL. That that's right. I mean, he's very much gotten gotten away with his size uh, so far. Jared Gaither got away from his size. He, he didn't have the same kind of sculpting issues that, that Brown had, but he definitely did get away with his size too. Uh, McKinney might be another player I would point to as, as really getting away with size. One of the things that players like that do, and, and McKinney I'm really talking about more than Gaither. Uh, Gaither had some quickness to, to move and, and make an effort on the backside, but backside run blocking, Orlando Brown will not be a factor. Uh, and there's two reasons. You, you, when, and what I mean by backside is the play is run away from him to the left instead of the right. He's going to have very little chance to make a contribution because he's not quick enough in terms of foot speed to get into level two and pick up a linebacker, a safety, or a corner from the other side and make a block on him. Stanley can do that. He's, he's quick enough to do it. But the other thing you can do is cut block the guy closest to you at the line of scrimmage. But teams don't like bigger men doing that because of the injury risk. So they told McKinney not to do it, and I'm sure they'll tell Orlando Brown not to do it. And that means he really has very little chance to impact a, a running play on the backside. All right. Um, let's move on. The The Ravens stayed busy in the third round, where that was the 83rd pick. In the 86, they took another tight end, Mark Andrews. 
Yeah, Mark Andrews, uh, he's really a, uh, a wide receiver in tight end clothing. So if you didn't like the fact that the Wavens didn't draft any wide receivers, I'd say, what are you talking about? Mark Andrews is a wide receiver. He really is a glorified slot guy. At Oklahoma, he wasn't asked to be an inline blocker very often. He does seem to have the frame to do it, and he may have to do it a little given the right tackle situation in Baltimore. But the ideal position is Andrews has more elusiveness in space than Hurst does, and I think they'll try and get him away, uh, uh, get him, you know, out of in line and in the slot where he can he can create more separation from a single cover guy, whether that's a safety or a linebacker, and and he has some uh, ability to both make catches uh, that are nice snatchy hand catches, and also he's had a good lot of yak success as well. So uh, a good guy to throw a five yard pass with seven yards of yak to uh, is is Mark Andrews. Okay, exciting. I feel like the fourth round is when the Ravens became the Ravens of drafts we're used to because they went with a defensive player from Alabama. Yes, so Anthony Anthony Averett, I really know very little about the guy. He's a tall, slender cornerback, 6'0", 185. That's an unusual size. It's unusual height and length for a corner to start with. That's tall. But only 185 at that height is also very slender. Uh, he ran 4.36 at the Combine, so so he's definitely a speed guy. His ball skills have been questioned, so we'll see if they can do anything with that at the pro level. He's a developmental corner because of the Ravens' depth at corner. So I think it was good that they try and draft one guy they really like as a Ravens player. And since they went opposite need, I'm most confident that they picked a guy of value, if that makes sense, at 118. Okay. Um, and that's exciting, and more depth in the cornerback position is always helpful. All right, the fourth round continues with Kenny Young, an inside linebacker. Yeah, so an interesting pick there by the Ravens because you didn't think that they would pick a three-down inside linebacker. The guy I'd been kind of pining for was a two-down outside linebacker so the Ravens can maintain their success with sub-packages, the dime in, in particular. And... They got a guy who really is a sub-package linebacker. At least that's what Mayock called him on air. And I look at the scouting reports on him, and, and he definitely is often cited as being weak versus the run. They use all kinds of different euphemisms for it or terms. Lack of physicality, more finesse than physical, below average taking on blocks. Uh, but anyway, it's not an obvious three-down player. But the Ravens must see something there. And if I had to guess, it's that he might be an insurance policy against the risk of C.J. Mosley leaving after this season. All right. Um, then after him, the Ravens finally addressed the wide receiver position, the position I wanted them to, dra- to draft in the first round. We finally got to in the fourth round with a guy from New Mexico. Yeah, you weren't, you weren't uh, alone there. So Jaleel Scott from New Mexico State, 6'5 and change 215. Uh, he's a real red zone threat and not a great separation guy, as I've read the scouting reports, but um, a good, supposedly good on deep jump balls. Uh, he's had an issue with drops, and both he and the next guy um, have a significant number of drops the last couple of years, despite uh, um, you know posting good numbers over 14 yards a catch for Jaleel Scott and over 18 yards a catch for Jordan Lasley. All right, and you, but, you, but if you want to, I'm sorry, let me make one more comparison. Julius Scott, the Ravens have had tall receivers in the past, and some of them end up being good. You know, unfortunately, they haven't been for the Ravens, like Malcolm Floyd of the Chargers. Uh, but think Tommy Streeter, Clarence Moore, 
And a lot of those guys have not worked out for the Ravens in the past. Obviously, they really haven't had a guy who they've drafted who's been you know six five and up who's who's ended up being any good. But uh, there are a lot more of those all over the NFL, of course. Just like the, when you're dealing with the right hand curve of anything, there's a lot more right. of the lesser type than right. there is of the six five receiver. But you'll hear Malcolm Floyd maybe a name you'll you'll hear with Jaleel Scott. All right, so a, a tall guy is he aggressive? Have you seen enough I, film to know? Because there's there's nothing more frustrating than than seeing uh, Brashard Perriman not put his arms up and fight for a ball. Yes, uh, in Jaleel Scott's case, I have not seen him on film. I've only read scouting reports of, uh, about him, and that is something at this time of year. You know, I want to be very upfront about it, is that some of these guys I have not yet seen on film. I don't trust scouting reports entirely, particularly for offensive line play. I need to look at that. In the case of receivers, I I, I don't know that I'm as qualified as some of the scouts to look at that anyway so i'll I'll trust their uh you know word on some of these things but he's supposed to be good on dump jump balls and and in contested throws despite the fact that he's got some drop issues so uh, hopefully he's somebody who a young quarterback you can throw a rainbow deep ball to and he'll at least go up there for the effort to make the catch all right. You mean you're not watching every Mexico, New Mexico State New Mexico games? State game? No. no. It's uh, you know there are some guys I really have to respect them that that watch incredible amounts of college tape. You know what I have to concern myself most about looking at the draft is how did the Ravens get value in moving through the rounds, and does it really make sense for needs, and how might these players, given what the scouting reports are, address the Ravens' needs at the NFL level? Yeah, well, the Ravens did one thing for you, which is they, they seem to stick with the big schools. And the next guy is another guy from a big school. We're back to UCLA. Yeah, Jordan Lasley, uh, fifth round, number 162. Uh, another guy who's a boom or bust prospect. 18 yards per catch. And by the way, everything on this guy is way over the map. He's got off field issues, but he's got 18 yards per catch. He had Josh Rosen throwing to him, but he had 13 drops. <laughs> so, uh, he was ninth in the nation in yards per pass snap. That's actually yards per route run, the PFF stat. But uh, it's very high, and uh, and obviously over three yards per route run. Um, he's of average height. He's about six one. Uh, supposed to be good also on contested catches, and is alleged to be a good route runner. But there's obviously been massive inconsistency in his game on the field, and some issues off the field they're going to have to uh, think about and work with him on. Uh, He's a project, obviously. He's going to have to wait a year anyway for significant playing time, given the personnel the Ravens have already uh, with the three guys they signed. uh, And like you said, another big school prospect. So so far, through five rounds, the Ravens haven't taken anyone from a truly small school yet. They picked a couple guys later on. Right. All right, well, that's good. There's two wide receivers that we just covered back-to-back that the Ravens grabbed that hopefully will learn their names because they'll be making plays this season and and at least be decent targets for Joe. Uh, next, the Ravens go on to the defensive side of the ball, and we got Deshaun Elliott, the safety from Texas. Terrific safety prospect. But here's the, the rub on this. You will get a lot of difference of opinion on whether he's a free safety candidate or a strong safety candidate. Some of the some of the scouts think he plays downhill. He's too much of a physical player, which tells you he's more like Jefferson and is more a front end player. But the truth of the matter is, he's got really good ball skills, and it's more than just the hand skills. One of the one of the points that was made is he was in position to make a lot of interceptions that he ended up dropping, and so he's more uh, he, he he 
created more interceptions, which is a ball skill thing, finding the ball in the air, being in the right place to, to anticipate that interception. So if he can improve his hands, he should be in a better position to get more. And the Ravens also create lots of interception opportunities with tip passes. So Elliot is, Elliot is, a, is a guy who hopefully will be able to generate some turnovers that way uh, for the Ravens, whether it's this year, and we'll see how much playing time he gets, or next year when he's likely to replace Weddle. Right, and you mentioned playing time. There's a lot of guys up ahead of him with Levine, Clark, Weddle, Jefferson. Yeah. It's going to be tough to even get him in the games, it seems like, this year. Yeah, I mean, there's always you know the risk of injury, so we'll, we'll, we'll say that first. But you're right. I mean, Clark and Weddle, uh, uh, sorry, Clark and Levine seem fairly well entrenched in the dime. And, you know, they're already competing for snaps there. Weddle and Jefferson... Hardly missed any snaps the whole year last year. So assuming they're they they're healthy, they're playing, and even to carry five safeties, you may see Elliott is an inactive for a number of weeks. It's possible Clark also will be inactive, and Deshaun Elliott projects as a core special teamer as well. So that'll be exciting that he'll provide some value there. But I also look at one other thing about this is that Ozzy drafted yet another safety in the sixth round. That is the Ozzy special. You pick a sixth-round safety who ends up being a dime, and I think Deshaun Elliott could be a lot more than that. But such a classy line of dime backs the Ravens have drafted in the sixth round or later, including, as you go back, Nakamura and Sapp and uh, uh, Williams. And he got Corey Harris cheap, but but he wasn't a sixth-round pick. And uh, you go back to Ralph Staten before that. I mean, he's able to consistently acquire these guys late in the draft uh, or or undrafted who help. And, and Deshaun, uh, Deshaun Elliott is just right in that vein if he's not, in fact, a fine free safety prospect on the line. Yeah, and, and that's the key. And that's, as we'll talk about Ozzy and wrap this up with Ozzy later because it, this is his final draft. Um, the key is making these guys in the late in rounds get playing time and help your team down the road and not just be a waste. Uh, then The next guy is Greg Sennett. And he, this guy is 6'6". He's a basketball player, which on paper tells me wide receiver, but you're telling me he's an offensive tackle. Well, he's 302 pounds. Okay. That's a big basketball player. Yeah, I think he might have bulked up for football would be All my right. guess. But I had a hard time finding his weight for a while online. I mean, there's just nothing out there about this guy. You know, he was not projected to be picked by really anybody, and the Ravens end up jumping up into the sixth round, not the seventh round to get him. I mean, just it's a it's a little bit of an odd thing, but offensive tackle is a premium position, and the Ravens really felt like they needed to have a developmental player. In my opinion, he will not play at all. I'll be shocked if he has a has a snap in 2018. And the reason is they'll have to kind of decide before the season whether they're going to stash him on IR for the year or they're going to continue to play. And unless injuries have taken a huge toll, there just won't be a spot for him in the in the top nine linemen. But he'll learn a lot, hopefully. And uh, for as long as he can be around during camp this year, uh, he should learn a lot from Roman and Dallas Andrus in terms of how to play the offensive line. And, and hopefully he's a good developmental prospect. Coming from basketball, he should have the good feet to be a pass blocker. So that at least is something. And I would guarantee you the Ravens like that about him or they wouldn't have taken a, a chance like this on him with a sixth round. I haven't seen any pictures of him yet. I just know that that Shaquille O'Neal was 300 pounds, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to basically Shaq being an offensive tackle for the Ravens. There you go. Uh, there all you right, go. let's go back to Alabama with Bradley Bozeman. <laughs> 
Well, that's where, where Ozzie wanted to go. So anyway, Br- Bradley Bozeman's been a center at Alabama now uh, for a while. So he's not a secret. Everybody is aware of the guy. Uh, he's been regularly in the spotlight, and he's played at v- against very highly talented defensive linemen in the SEC. So it's not like the guy hasn't been challenged. Um, he's got NFL size at 6'4", 317. I've seen a lot of material on him, and they all seem to pan his athleticism specifically, that he's not quick enough to get to level two and really do anything. You know, the nicest thing they'll say is he's he's adequate at finishing a combination block kind of thing, which is really, that's bad. I mean, you, that's the guy who gets left behind on the combination block. So Yanda helps block the nose tackle for the center, and then he moves into level two to make his combination block, but the guy left behind is finishing the, the combination block at the line of scrimmage, and, and he's adequate at that. Well, that's not a very, that's not a, you know, very high praise. So anyway, I, I, I hope he can be something. He's certainly a guy in the mix to play center this year as a starter. The Ravens have about five guys now who are in that mix, and none of them is is got even a 50% chance to be the starter right now. I think that there's Skura might be the leader, but his chance might be 35% and Bozeman 30. And, and then you've got Lewis to consider, and you have Siragusa to consider if he's healthy. And then you have Yonda if not, none of the other options work because they really don't want to move Yonda if they don't have to. All right. Um, that guy kind of made sense to be Ozzy's last pick as a guy from Alabama, but Ozzy got to make one more pick in the seventh round, 238 overall. He went up to Ferris State, which I had to Google <laughs> Ferris State. It is in Big Rapids, Michigan. Oh, that's good. I didn't know. Yeah, by the way. First in, time I'd ever heard of it. In-state in tuition is $10,000. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, not bad. But uh, Zach Seeler. Yes. So, and I don't know how you pronounce his name either, whether it's Seiler or Seeler. Oh, uh, I got it but, right. But I'm sure. Okay, Seeler. I'm really good with names. Not, <laughs> not at all. That's, that's good. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, um, he has really good measurables for a guy you'd get in the seventh round. So he's played, obviously, against not what I would consider big-time competition at Ferris, Strait, Ferris State. But he ran a 478.40, which is excellent for a big man. He had a 701.3 cone. Uh, he's 6'5", 290, which tells me the Ravens are trying to groom him as a 5-tech, uh, a guy who can who can get a hand high and block some passes. Brent Urban is there at 6'7". They saw how valuable that was. Willie Henry has some, has some leaps, and, and he's been able to make it work, even though I think he's only 6'2". Uh, but but Zach Seiler is a, or Seeler is a uh, uh, exciting prospect for the seventh round the Ravens really have not had many guys from the seventh round work out Michael Campanero is probably their best ever seventh round pick to give you a, a thing and this guy could be better all right um all right so that's all the picks what were there any overall takeaways uh, after going through all these guys that you were, thought the Ravens missed out on besides James and and specific guys how do you right, we we've beaten that horse to death, I think. But right. the the one guy that I was kind of hoping they would take that they didn't in the fourth round, particularly when they're drafting these wide receivers that I didn't think I, I don't draft I don't rate those picks as high as as they do, obviously. But Wyatt Teller was a physically imposing mauling guard who's six five, and uh, really could have been somebody that they converted to center. So you don't have a center you've picked. Maybe you liked Bozeman enough that you didn't want to waste a fourth-round pick on Teller. Waste, quote-unquote. But Teller ended up getting picked early in the fifth round before they had a chance to draft, and they lost the, the, the chance to get him. But he would have been a good guy to try and convert into a center 
and I think he would have, he would have been clearly the front runner to start there if he had been drafted. So that was one thing. We talked a little bit earlier about the dime defense, the success the Ravens have had in general in their history with it, and with Pease re-embracing it last year. I didn't expect them to to risk abandoning it, but every time I see a linebacker who's a potential three-down guy drafted, I have to question: you know, have they have they reversed themselves again on the dime? So right. Hopefully they haven't done that. I, I, I want to see that success continue. I think it's appropriate. And it's also just good organizational philosophy to keep your costs down, to, to have a dime back and a two-down thumper instead of an expensive linebacker who's there for all three downs. So anyway, they, they, the dime is a question. Is um, What else do have we not discussed so far? Um, well, uh, I mean, it's Ozzy's last draft for, mm-hmm. for the, the Ravens. Uh, there's there's question about um, how can a guy he's still not he's not that old but for a a legend uh, to retire he he won't go in the Hall of Fame as a as a general manager because he's already in the Hall of Fame as a player but a guy he, like this there's questions about how many years does he actually sit out before there's enough money tossed his way that he's back in um, any thing about Ozzy and I know the Ravens are, are thanking him a lot today on his Twitter and praising him and closing out is this really the end of Ozzy I, I think he'll be in, working for the Ravens as some sort of very highly paid scout so they may change his title and DaCosta will be the general manager and uh, you know maybe Ozzy is some sort of player development head or whatever but effectively he's going to be a very highly paid scout with the Ravens okay. and that's that's cool. I mean, you know, I can't imagine being around the facility and not seeing Ozzy out jogging and Ozzy being the only person who's allowed to sit in the entire practice area. Right. Because um, Harbaugh runs a tight ship in terms of making everyone stand. Every reporter, by the way, makes that mistake once. They they try and sit down to write something down or to, or to text or whatever, and immediately some of the interns are over getting all the PR interns getting over you and saying, get the hell up. You know, you can't sit at a – they don't say it that way. But right. They right. say, I can't have you sit. Yeah, they try to help you out. (laughs) They try to be nice about it before you get yelled at. Yes. (laughs) There you go. Um, Yeah, and I, exactly. I can't see the, and the Ravens are not going to let him out of their eyesight. They're not going to let another team come in, offer a bunch of money, and let him go down the street. At least they're going to try not to. I, I think I think that's right. I mean, there may come a, come a deal that's just too good for Ozzy to pass up. But I think Ozzy also, a lot of scouts have developed underneath him, and it'd be nice if they kept some of that wisdom around the building about about you know how to go about scouting what what what's really important to scouting things the raven way and you know the, the guy you might compare him to is cal ripkin senior you know the, he was the oriole way and when when the orioles fired him six games into the 1988 season you know that horrible season they, they took on frank robinson right. cal ripkin senior had to go home for about three weeks to think about it right and maybe it wasn't even that long then he came back to be the third base coach for the orioles because he was responsible for developing the oriole way and, and that, that back by, by back then, the Oriole way was a good thing. <laughs> it was a it was the winning ways of the eighteen right. straight winning seasons and it, and all those teams. It's still something. Yeah, hopefully the Orioles <laughs> get back to that at some point. But you're right, Ozzy is such a foundation of this team. Uh, we joke sometimes that Steve Bashotti will go to Ray Lewis for advice. Ozzy's number one guide at, there for advice for anything with the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, I, I would. He's he's certainly a source of wisdom. If you if you listen to the guy talk, he is so measured about things, and that's one of the things about 
being effective in business or effective in life in general is you win by outcalming the other guy. And I heard a story told by Kevin Byrne here that really is on the money as far as this. Harbaugh was upset about some player's behavior at practice, and I think it was a free agent. And he, he ran into Ozzie's office, the way Kevin Byrne describes it, and his office is apparently close to Ozzie's. And Harbaugh said something like, look, I, I'm tired of this behavior. We, we, we got to cut this guy or we got to do something about this guy, blah, 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 blah. And Ozzie was able to listen to about five minutes of that. And then he said, John, you know we paid this guy about $11 million for these next two seasons, so we don't really have an option and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it was just, it was, it was exactly what a, a, you know, a calm, measured leader would do to make his point. Listen, then talk in a low voice. And John, John's response to it, according to Kevin, was something like, yeah, yeah, I know, and then he left the room. All right. <laughs> right. Settle down. Okay. Yeah. Um, in 2003, the Ravens drafted, traded up to draft Kyle Bowler. And right. so you can, you can, we can look back to 2003 because that's the last time the, the Ravens traded up to get a, a quarterback. In 2003, the big story, if when you look back at that draft, is that Tony Romo was undrafted. Is there a guy out there that you think everyone missed out that, that is one of these undrafted guys that's going to sign? There wasn't any. There wasn't anybody on my list. The last couple of guys, you know, I had a center prospect, Will Clapp, that I kind of liked, maybe a little bit better than Bozeman, um, that that uh, did get drafted in the end in the seventh round. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, I didn't see that Damon Webb got drafted by Asumi did after we got to Sean Elliott. I didn't really care because he's a safety. Okay. Um, but anyway, there there were. There's always players. The Ravens will have a bunch of UDFAs who will come and they'll sign tomorrow night. So this is a very intense period right now for the Ravens front office, calling and getting us a UDFA crowd. And I guarantee you this: there are so many people leaving this team, despite the fact the Ravens have 12 draft picks. There is plenty of room for a UDFA to make this team, and probably more than one. I do not think this will be the first year in forever that the Ravens do not have okay. a UDFA make the team. Well, that, that's exciting. Um... All right. Any other takeaways from this draft? You went through everything. I think we've got, we've covered it pretty well in about an hour. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. I, I thought this was going to take longer, but uh, if we had Dev on, it would take longer because we'd be you know getting into heated <laughs> debates. Right, about right. Maybe we'll do that again later, and that'd be fun. So, are, are you working on writing this up for uh, Russell Street? I know there's other people who've already written things up on Russell Street Report, so we want to direct everyone over to there. Right. There's stuff on Russell Street Report. And by the way, we, we put in our knee-jerk reactions, which to, I, I put a little bit more effort into it that I hope than that. And, and there's some there's some substantive amount of what I've said tonight is already out there on the website if you want to read it. Um, I, I have talked with them about possibly just giving them my notes from the draft in general. and They can publish those right. over like, but they contain some stuff I probably don't want printed. So uh, maybe that won't happen. So yeah. we'll, we'll I, I'm not sure I'll have an actual article on this draft. It's this podcast is the is the format. All right, uh, I'll take that. I like this podcast a lot, so I think that this is a really good coverage of the draft. Um, my knee jerk reactions are all over my Twitter account at Josh Soroka. <laughs> People can follow you on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. Yes, and tell them about your show too, Josh, because I know Oriole fans are suffering oh. deeply right now. Uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, we normally wait until around June to when we start to get see people asking when's football season, but this has been a tough start of the Orioles season, but no matter what, it's always fun to talk sports, it's always fun to talk Orioles, 
even if we're complaining, we can have fun with it. And my podcast is Section 336. Um, and we're a weekly podcast available at Section336.com. We're working on some new content and some new uh, blogs and stuff that are going to be up there real soon. So you want to check out the website. But for now, the podcast is really exciting and going weekly. That's great. I really highly recommend Josh's show. I did I did want to say one plan we had for another show, Josh, is that the next next time we do a podcast, I want to do a sit down with a couple of young people at least. It might be two, it might be three, who are creating new methods of analysis for football. And I'll throw this out there right now. If you have something you'd like to talk about on our podcast, we'd love to have you on as a guest to talk about your new methodology. I'll be happy to work on you, work with it work with you on it before the podcast if you like just uh send me a message at film study ravens and we'll uh we'll talk there now what do you mean by new methodologies all right well this is interesting because it's not all metrics some of it is football metric stuff and 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 that can be interesting but one guy wanted to look at every target of brashad perriman and had some very interesting analysis of that that, i know you're gonna love that one that's wrong yes so there's that another guy uh had had worked to create a still photo uh, mechanic of every single play to look at what the route tree looked like. And it's, it's a very interesting idea. And I, I, I love it when people just decide right. to do something. He did this. He had he'd done every picture. So um, I thought we'd talk about that. And yet another guy has an idea for uh, improving and refining quarterback rating by taking out throws of certain types. So it's an interesting way. And he also right, talking like about this. adjusting for the defense. I like this. You've got me all in. I want to see all this. Uh, we might need to make a few of these video podcasts because I really want to see a guy drawing up and showing us how, how this works. I'm That's excited. a great idea. I'm ex- really excited about this. This sounds uh, a lot of fun. I like something new and a new angle on football. Yeah, you know, we, we do show tabular data, and we, we realize that we have a lot of people listening in their, our, their car to this, but to the extent you're at a computer and you can, you can bring this up online, it would be interesting if we could point to tabular data and – you know, you show people a table while we're talking about it. So sure. if we can figure out how to do that, I'd love to do it. Josh. Oh, we'll do it. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll talk with all these guys and uh, bring more nerds into into the podcast, <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll get this going. Yeah, there you go. So, all right, Ken. Well, have a great week. Um, enjoy continuing to evaluate these players as we get ready for football season. And uh, I don't know, what are we at? Five months. Well, it really starts at the very end of July for me with the first day of camp. So we'll talk about it. Even OTAs before that. All right. Exciting. Take it easy, man. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. 
CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.